morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Maddie. I get to be one of the pastors here at Epiphany, and I get to welcome you to this, our final conversation from the teaching series, The King is Coming. Oh, the, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, before we jump into our conversation today, though, I want to make sure we do the best that we can by you by letting you know of what's kind of going to be different over this Christmas season at Epiphany. So as you walked in this morning, I'm sure you were handed one of these beautiful programs, and on the reverse side is everything you could need to know about the next few days. The first thing being that tomorrow night, We'll be hosting two worship experiences here, 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock, to be able to celebrate Christmas Eve and celebrate Christmas together. So we want to be able to make that a place where you and your family can enjoy it. So what we've done is we've crafted and created this uh, short but sweet and I think just incredibly celebratory time of worship together that the whole family can be a part of. So we will have e-babies open and available to people, but the e-kids, that's ages 4 through 5th grade, will actually be in here with us together. So if you know anyone that is looking for a place that maybe doesn't have a church family at this time of year that you want to be able to bring along with you, this is a great opportunity to do that. In light of it being Christmas on Tuesday, Celebrate Recovery is giving their leaders and volunteers uh, the, the day off, some time off to be able to connect with family. So they're actually encouraging anyone who would normally go to Celebrate Recovery to make use of Monday night as a place to be able to gather and to have some time in community. The final thing I want to let you know is that we also like to be able to give people time off and give our teams and our volunteers a week off when we can. So on the 30th of this month, so next Sunday, we actually won't be having normal worship experiences. And that's an opportunity for everyone to rest, for us to have time with family, for you to be able to go check out another church family and maybe worship alongside them this weekend. Um, or if none of that floats your boat and you don't want to hang out with people, you can sit at home alone and watch me online. Uh, we're going to do something different this year we've not done before. Um, at about 10 o'clock, or exactly 10 o'clock, uh, we're actually going to be live streaming and I'm going to be having a conversation and kind of letting people know about what's been going on at Epiphany Station all over 2018, celebrating the tremendous things that God has done and what we expect to see Him do leaning forward into 2019. So you can actually go next Sunday to epiphanystation.com and you'll be able to find there that live stream so you can get clued in of all the things that we've seen our God do. Now, it's a lot of information to easily forget. That's why it's all on the program. If you have any more questions, you can go to the Welcome Station and they'll answer those. Um, the King is Coming was this series that, as a staff, we wanted to basically center around this idea that if we truly got it, like if we truly understood and grasped what it meant for the King to be coming into our world and into our lives, it might change our response just a little bit. So to do that, we've been looking at how the first people who truly got it, who it hit home with, responded. We've heard from Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how she rejoiced in tremendous things. From Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and how he was literally dumbfounded at a new dawn spring breaking upon them. We heard how Simeon, he basically breathed a sigh of relief that the king was finally arriving. And our final first responder we're going to have a conversation about today is John the Baptist. John, son of Zechariah, John known to his friends as Johnny B. Johnny grew up in this place where he was already called out that he was going to take a part in, he was going to play a part in this amazing story. As we saw, as we talked about it in, in week two with Zechariah, in Luke 1 verse 13, God had already called it out and said to his dad, don't be afraid, your wife Elizabeth's going to give you a son and you're going to name him John. And the really cool thing about John 
is before Mary's rejoicing about tremendous things, and before Zechariah's struck and ex- explaining about dawn springs and new light, and before Simeon breathes a sigh of relief, John responds first. Before, technically, he should even be able to respond, John's doing backflips about the news that the king is coming. We see this in Luke 1 verse 30, 41, when Mary comes to meet Elizabeth, and the baby does a leap in her belly. Elizabeth explains this, as you came close, Mary, my son leapt for joy in my womb. John's this first responder, and he leapt and he kicked and he flipped in the womb for a much greater reason than we do. Like we spend nine months just kicking our mums in the bladder so they can never be comfortable. John did a backflip because he came close. He came close to this king that he would know to come. And it's a weird thing. I've always thought it a weird thing anyway, that this is part of the Christmas story, that basically what happens is one baby tries to high-five another baby, not realizing there's a placenta and kind of other goo in the way, <laughs> stopping him from being able to do that. But it's a universal response. Like sometimes you can't control yourself. You see this thing when you are so excited that something's going to happen. Someone you cherish, someone you adore, someone that you're going to connect with. Maybe someone walks in the door and for some reason you can't help but do backflips for joy. We see this particularly in one instance, through God's greatest creation of animals, the dog. Dogs are always happy to see you because they think you've got something for them. And I'm sure it's in other animals too, like maybe it's in, well, maybe it's not in all animals. But this running to and this delight and flipping, we also see it when mothers are reunited when they're kids. We see it when families have been separated through war, through politics, and they're able to be rejoined and reunited. We see these raw responses of of emotion, of of pure enjoyment and and satisfaction and passion. And one of the reasons that I love John is for that. John starts off his life before he can even make a, a, a decision, technical, practical, intellectual decision, he's already jumping for joy. And the reason that I also love John is it doesn't end there with him, because John grew up, he exited the womb. I'm sure Elizabeth was very happy with that eventually. And upon exit, he lived another 30-some years in which we get to see how he continued to respond to the news of a coming king. Now, John grew up in an environment that Jesus himself said was full of people who were ready and willing to show their their emotional responses and their, their first responses and how they are passionately engaged in a relationship with God. Jesus also described this environment as a place where people are just doing that ostentatiously, to be seen, giving and serving and praying out loudly, often mixed in with a great deal of hypocrisy. John grew up for some years in an environment that I think that makes sense as to why he seemingly has skepticism about first responders, about people who maybe feel something or have some emotion but then don't do anything with it. Now, John himself knows what that would be like. But he sees it around him, and I think we see it around ourselves too a little bit. We can see it at Christmas and on Easter and in the church. We can see, wait, hold on a second. You who had that great and powerful moment with God, you're the one still doing whatever you dang well please. You who sing so passionately or pray so deeply on a Sunday spends the next six days tearing people down. It seems that first response doesn't always lead to what we would then consider genuine response. What happens is John, in his first response, follows it up. The next thing that we see from him, the next thing he says is he responds by calling out people that then don't have an ongoing response. 
It said that there were crowds that started to gather around John. And when they did gather around John to be baptized, he called them brood of vipers. He said, who has warned you that you should flee the coming wrath? Prove it. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented from your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, ah, we're safe. John is calling out an hypocrisy by saying, look, if you genuinely are about this coming king, like genuinely, and you want to respond with your life, then prove it with your life. So you felt something, good for you. We feel things all the time. Most of the time, it's just indigestion or taco johns that make us feel things. But you felt something, now what? Now what are you going to do with maybe that first response, maybe that first feeling? What are you going to do to prove it, to prove that you love God and to prove that you love people? So they asked him, and they asked him, I think genuinely asked, what are we supposed to do? And John answers simply and beautifully. He says, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. As tax collectors came up to him, they asked, teacher, what should we do? And he said, don't collect any more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money. You'll make false accusations. Be content with your pay. John answers very simply and very practically, if you are about this coming king and following him, then, oh my goodness, couldn't our feelings just turn into action? What if after our responses, we we then took care of the poor? What if we fed the hungry? What if we wept with the mourning? What if instead of taking, we were giving? What instead of lying, we were living with people? What if instead of moaning about life, we rejoiced? What if we did this thing that God once called for when he said, I want to see a flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living? You see, I think a lot of us can get caught up into thinking that there's one particular way of responding to the king that is better than the other, but John seems to hold them both in little esteem if they are not together. That emotional response has its place, that practical response has its place, but John does something that makes us make it a little bit uncomfortable because Christmas is known for an emotional response. It's known for a good time that maybe doesn't have follow-through. And John says, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond to the news that the king is coming, not on Christmas Day, but the week after, the Monday morning after? How are you going to respond the next credit card bill after? How are you going to respond the next marital fight after? And I think I know what John would say. I think I know how we should respond. We should respond perhaps greater, greater than we have ever thought to respond, greater emotionally and greater practically. You see, John himself had to answer these questions of who he was and who this king was going to be. And he answered the questions and he bound all of his commitment and his response and his emotion and his lifestyle to the belief that his king was worth the response because his king was greater. In Luke 3 verse 16, it says this, that John answered their questions by saying, look, I'm going to baptize you with water, but someone is coming who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave or untie the straps of his sandals. John calls out how it could possibly be that we would have an underwhelming response, a one-sided response, a comfortable response to this news that someone's so great, John doesn't even think he can hold his flip-flops for him. He wore flip-flops, not Crocs, 
Crocs are from the devil. <laughs> but it's so easy for us, and I think we've all experienced this in which we feel an underwhelming response towards our king. We see an underwhelming response to our king at Christmas and at Easter and at church on Sundays. And we, we kind of think, is that it? Is that all there is to it? And I think the danger is, and what we can maybe learn from John's life, even if it wasn't intrinsically put in there for us to take out, is that if we're not careful, we will boil down our response to the most manageable and comfortable format for us. I'm an emotional person. So therefore, I'm going to respond to God emotionally. I'm going to make it all about feeling things. I'm going to make it all about experiences and events and and tears that I might shed. Or maybe I'm a practical person, and I will make my response to Him about my lifestyle choices and my behavior modification and just not doing bad things. Neither of these are bad, but when they are on their own, they become merely emotional and merely ritual where John says both are held in esteem. Both are held as an important part of response. Both are part of responding greatly, that we would respond with all of it, with both sides, that as we grow to know our King more and more and what it means, month by month, we would start to understand the massive magnitude of our Maker, that we would start to grasp the grand and gargantuan God that we have, that we would become cognizant of the colossal care and concern and consideration that he has for his children, that our response would become relative, it would become connected to the size, the greatness of our God, and that when we would respond. Now, every week we have conversations, and every week we challenge ourselves to a next step, something that we believe should take us out of conversation and into action. And this week is maybe one of the greatest examples of why that is so essential. Because John, I think, in his life and what God can point us to in his life is calling us to respond greatly, to the news of the coming king, to respond greatly, not allowing any single response that we have made thus far to be all we have, not allowing ourselves just to respond like children, not allowing ourselves just to respond one way or the other, but to respond with all of it. So I want to challenge you, whichever side you might feel like you fall, As someone who is greatly emotional or greatly practical, I want to challenge you to see the goodness in the other side of response. You might not be an emotional type of person, but that does not mean that we cannot be emotional in our response. In fact, John's life, Jesus' life, the apostles' life, the disciples' lives, the believers' lives called us to a greater emotional response. Now, this is not to bash. This is not to bash those who are introverted or reserved or British. That is not to bash those who are less inclined towards being emotional. That is just to say that it cannot be lacking from our response. Emotions aren't everything, but they're also not nothing. Because our king was a king of tears. And he was a king of anger. And a king of frustration. And a king of deep tenderness. And if we're truly going to respond to this king then it should stir within us a desire to cry over what he would cry over, weep where he would weep, to be stirred when we see injustice, when we see darkness, to be angry when we see sin, to be joyful when we see redemption, when we see things full of love and of tenderness and of hope and of joy and of peace. Jesus' life was supposed to show us how the range of emotion comes into a lifestyle that loves God and loves people, not diminishes it. 
So if you find yourself maybe on the less emotional end of the spectrum, I want to challenge you this week to take some time bringing yourself closer into the emotions of God, the emotions of Jesus, to spend some time with the King. I want to challenge you to do that this week by cracking open your Bible. And you can do that today, tomorrow, heck, even on Christmas Day. And I want you to read. I want you to read together or alone. I want you to read any of the stories of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And I want you to see Jesus' emotion. I want you to see Mary's emotion and Zechariah's. I want you to see John's. I want you to see the emotion of people who came to follow him and the people who hated him. Because in all of it, we learn something that whatever we choose, it should be full of emotional response. As we see what sin meant to Jesus, what redemption means to us, and what his love means to the world. Now, if you find yourself on the other end of the spectrum, I want to challenge you. I challenge you how John and Jesus and everyone else calls us to a greater practical response. A greater practical response that sees change in our lives, that sees alignment coming closer to Jesus' example. Now, this is not to bash, again, those of you who are struggling, those of you who are new Christians, old Christians, all the Canadians. Instead, this, (laughs) cats, check, Canadians, check, British, check. Instead, I just want to say it as lovingly as I can. It would appear that lifestyle change and choice matter to God. It matters to God how you respond with your life. It's why John said, prove it. That we might choose to get rid of some of the behaviors and actions that offend our desire to love Him and love people and that feed more our craving to show that we have changed. Now, and I get this, this is difficult. And it often causes you to slip but I would rather be part of a church that is full of people slipping because that at least shows that we're trying to move. For us to understand what it means to change practically, because it means that we have to understand that it's part and parcel that we are now called to exhibit something. We're called to change our lifestyle, not because even it just might be better for us, but we're supposed to exhibit love for the vulnerable. We're supposed to be full of grace. We're supposed to have forgiveness in a spite-fueled world. We're supposed to have generosity in a me-centered culture. And if we're not exhibiting anything, can we even say that we responded to anything? Now, practical behaviors are not everything, but they're also not nothing. We're called to live differently because that is part of our great response to our great king. Because our king was a king of change. And he was a king of righteousness and a king of self-sacrifice and a king of commitment to his father in heaven. And if you find yourself struggling to bring your life into alignment with Jesus, I want to challenge you to do the same thing as I did the others. Spend some time. Crack open your Bible. Look at the stories of how Jesus chose to live and how believers called themselves to live now differently, to live a life in light of love. If you don't have a Bible, Merry Christmas. We have a bunch out on the welcome station. I would love you to grab one for this purpose alone, to read the thing to let it challenge you for you to understand that your response to the king needs to be a greater emotional response than even you have ever considered, a greater practical life life change and life challenge than you have ever entertained because our king is worth this great response, a greater response for a greater king.
The impact of Christmas is not on what, how many productions we put on or go to. It's not the food that we serve or the gifts that we give. It will be found in how the church chooses to respond to the news of their king. I want to wrap us up here in our conversation just by speaking to how we as a church are doing one small thing to try and respond to the news of this coming king. We call it My Christmas Epiphany, and you're probably sick of hearing it by this point. But My Christmas Epiphany exists because we want to respond. We want to respond emotionally, we want to respond practically to the news that the king is doing tremendous things in our midst. So this year we've picked, we've chosen Elevate Youth Center to be the direction for our support. Because we believe they have a God-given mission and vision to reach every single teen, every single teen so that they can lead a life full of success. Now, at the start of the month, we shared with you that we'd set a goal for $20,000 raised at Epiphany to try and help with the overall goal of Elevate's $35,000 goal. Now, I want to let you know it's been very difficult to be able to track giving because this year may be different than ever. People have been giving a lot through Epiphany, but they've also been giving straight to Elevate from within Epiphany and from the community. So we didn't want to try and play and juggle the numbers and say, well, this is how much Epiphany itself decided to give to us 35. So we just decided to scrap our goal. We're not going to raise 20. We're going to come alongside, elevate the same way the community is, and we are going to push towards this $35,000 goal alongside them. As of Sunday morning at 934, $19,000 has come in to support Elevate. And that's largely in part to an amazing community and other churches and largely in part to you and your generosity. But today is the day, if you've been waiting, to pull the trigger. Today is the day to get off the fence. Today is the day that the Taos family are finally giving their financial contribution, getting around to it. Because Jackie and I believe in Elevate Youth Center. We believe that it's worth investing into. We believe that it's going to change lives. And we want our kids to go through it when they grow up. If you want to give here at Epiphany, you can do. There's red boxes, there's a card reader, and there's online. Just make sure that always you put My Christmas Epiphany in the memo so we make sure it goes there. Or you can give directly to Elevate via its website. Or you can give something to the Executive Director, Mary, who you're going to meet here again in a second. And I want to leave you as we consider what it means for us to respond with a final video from Elevate Youth Center, a video that was taken that tried to capture some of the impact that Elevate's having on families in the way that Elevate tries to help their kids succeed academically. Hi, um, my name is Angie Wessling, and I am a parent of a child that has used Elevate uh, tutoring after school program. Um, and it was a lifesaver. I, uh, my daughter was falling severely behind in school. Um, I wasn't really sure what to do, and I heard about the Elevate um, after school program, um, and I got a hold of Mary Secret, who um, just kind of said that, that it was something that she could come to and that we'd see if it was a good fit for her. Like I said, she was severely behind in school, and when I say that, you might be thinking it was just a couple things, but it wasn't. She was behind 12 assignments. Um, the thought of her catching up 12 assignments was mind-boggling to me. I didn't know what I was gonna do. When Mary told me about this program, and I brought Lindsay, and within three days, she had got caught up in all of her homework. Um, she had a tutor that she actually got to go and sit in a, a, a room with. And she was amazing. Lindsay loved her, talks about her all the time. Um, and just the, the peace of mind that I had knowing that I could drop Lindsay off here, 
but knowing that they had background checks and knowing that the people here, after three days, I found out the people here care so much about the kids. Like we walked in and they were so excited to see Lindsay and she would get a treat after school. She would have a Gatorade. Lindsay liked it so much the first few days that she actually invited a friend. And when Lindsay didn't have homework, she still wanted to come here with her friend. And then just to know that, that when and if Lindsay falls behind in school again, that they do have those tutors available that I can just say, hey, we need help again and that they're here for us. So much weight lifted off my shoulder to know that this program is here in Thief River Falls and that my kid can, can benefit from it. Hi. Hi, my name is Mary Seeger. For those of you who don't know me, I get to be the director of Elevate Youth Center. And I'm just going to be super real and honest with you guys. Uh, education is not something I'm super passionate about. Um, well, <laughs> when we were planning this summer, how can we reach every single teenager? Um, that came up, this program came up, a tutoring program. And I was like, okay, you guys can help them with that. I'll tell them about Jesus. Like, <laughs> um, but what I found is that this program is probably one of the most impactful programs that Elevate is doing right now. Um, the kids, the teenagers that are coming and getting help with their homework are the kids that will not come through the school doors because they have so much anxiety, they have so much depression, and the, one of the roots of those causes is because they don't have their homework done. Like, they are literally, like, they will not walk through, sorry. Ugh, they won't walk through the doors. The parents are, like, dragging them through because, just because they don't have homework done, just because their grades are bad. And this is causing them anxiety. It's causing them depression. It's causing them to do things that we don't want them to do. And after coming to Elevate for three days and getting caught up with 12 assignments and building relationship with those people, they are walking through those doors with huge smiles on their faces, with confidence, and they no longer have that huge weight that's on their shoulders. This is impacting the community. This is reaching every single teenager. And I'm, I, you know, here I sit. I'll tell them about Jesus. You guys can help them with... They are changing lives, these tutors. And I will tell you this, I am so glad that I am not leading this by myself because this is what I would have missed out on. And I'm so thankful for the team that God has brought to lead, this, to lead this youth center. And I'm so thankful to Epiphany Station. I'm so thankful to the community that is coming alongside us and helping us raise this money so that we can continue on and reach every single one. So thank how, you. How much is left to raise? Education's not my thing. <laughs> 19,035. 16,035. <laughs> that we'll have the emotion to see just how, how, how bad it is without you, how dark it is without you, so we can see how good it is with you. Amen. That you'd fill us with joy, and you'd fill us with delight, and you'd fill us with excitement to be able to have a relationship with you. God, we thank you that you are not absent, and that because of what you've done, you want to see us now represent you, to display you. 
Help us to make these responses practically and emotionally. Help us to be alongside. Help us to welcome the coming of the King this Christmas. God, we ask you to just awaken something within us that's maybe been absent, that's maybe been dulled, maybe it's just been asleep, God, that you would call us to understand the magnitude of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.